a group of worshipers with a religious nationalist bent decided to take things into their own hands one day and throw Jesus off a cliff. Uh, I'm going to take just a couple of more moments than I have been recently. So I'm going to ask you for a little longer window of your attention because we're going to weave our way around a bit before we uh, get to where we're going. But I, I believe where we are going is worth the journey. The first time I came around the little bend in the road where Conestoga Road meets St. Matthew's Road and I looked up in front of me up at the top of the hill to see St. Matthew's Lutheran Church, I knew it was a special place. The gorgeous Fieldstone Church had a commanding location at the top of that hill in front of me with its towering steeple holding a cross above those old fields and the tree line uh, for well over a hundred years by that time. Uh, just a couple of random shots I remember to grab and give to Nick this morning there of the church. A couple of, uh, several months after I, I, that first look at St. Matthew's and I would begin uh, my time serving as pastor there. Uh, the land where the church was constructed had been farmland which belonged to the great-grandparents of current members, active, uh, elderly, influential members. Uh, the stones from which the church was constructed came from those same fields. Words like historic, classic, traditional, could describe both the building and the congregation. Also, like so many of the beautiful old country churches dotting the rolling hills of uh, Chester County, the church was dying. Some years ago, I read about a church-related college in Canada where they had an annual event. It was called Christian Emphasis Week or something like that, and the student campus ministry group would invite a speaker to kind of come and keynote the event, would preach several times and lead the students in breakout sessions and so forth. And one year, the students at the college got maybe more than they bargained for. They invited a speaker who was known to be dynamic. He would sometimes push the envelope, even a little controversial at times. And on the first night of the special week, the campus chapel was filled with students who were active in campus ministry. It's always a challenge to get students who preferred uh, the bars and, and the house parties on the weekends to accept an invitation to these campus ministry-sponsored events. Um, I, I won't tell you which group I was a part of during my Gustavus years. Uh, anyway, the speaker at the Canadian College began by opening up the Bible and reading from a familiar passage of Scripture. And when he finished, he closed the Bible and then suddenly flung the Bible out an open window just off to the side of the platform there. And there was a gasp from the mostly student ministry congregation. And they stared at him in silence. Did the preacher really just throw a Bible out the window? preacher looked at them and said, there goes your God. 
And then he proceeded to preach a challenging sermon on the difference between worshiping a literalistic approach to the Bible, worshiping the Bible, the difference between that and worshiping the living God that comes to us through the Scriptures. We'll circle back to this. During my first few years at St. Matthew's, our staff and leadership worked hard to try and chart a new direction for the mission and the ministry and the outreach that we would share in that place. Remember, historic, classic, and traditional described not only the beautiful old church building, but also the entire approach to ministry for over 150 years. And for most of that time, these approaches had served them reasonably well, except for the preceding couple of decades. So, as old ways began to be kind of opened up over the years and the Spirit was allowed to blow through that place, we reached a point where the once dying congregation was busting at the seams. And we were about to break ground on a massive project that would add space for a new school, a fellowship, and community gathering hall, and and classrooms and expanded capacity for worship in the old sanctuary, office space. In fact, the project would require, imagine this now, flipping the sanctuary 180 degrees. So all of you are accustomed to facing this direction. You will now and forever after be facing the opposite direction and all that that involved to make that happen. This was all in order to make the traffic flows work with the new construction and the education wing and so forth. This would all require constructing a new entryway, a new narthex, uh, connecting the old to the new by taking out the entire front wall of the church, uh, which had two big stained glass windows in it. One of them had Jesus holding a, a lamb. And it had been the backdrop to the altar for the whole history of that congregation up to that point, that historic, classic, traditional congregation. And you can imagine that this whole prospect caused more than a little bit of tension and anxiety and fear and outright anger at times. And there came a moment while carefully excavating under that front stone wall of the church, the builders became aware that the old Fieldstone church did not really sit on any foundation. Back in the day, they just started laying stone on the ground, which meant that we would need to carefully dig underneath and below the stone wall to add concrete underpinning to support the joining of the old construction with the new and to meet modern-day construction codes, building codes. And there was a chance, the architects and the builders told me, that those old field stones could begin to tumble and fall during this process. There was a small chance that in a horrific chain reaction, half the entire church building could 
topple and crumble to the ground, which, if it had, would be the only thing I would be remembered for out there to this day. Last week, Pastor Natalia talked about how Jesus shared something shocking in his hometown, in the, in the worship place, in the synagogue there in Nazareth. At the outset, it seemed like a normal service. Jesus opened up the Scriptures and read from a familiar text the word from the prophet Isaiah about good news being preached to the poor and sight to the blind and release to the captives. And then Jesus said, Today this Scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Pastor Natalia encouraged us last Sunday to consider what it may mean if we really believed that. At first, the congregation there at worship that day in Nazareth responded warmly, enthusiastically even. Good sermon, hey, beautiful words. Heads were nodding. People kind of surprised this hometowner from down the road could be so eloquent. This passage Jesus read was historic, classic, traditional. But then, they thought about what he just said, and the question began to stir among them, if Isaiah's prophecy has really been fulfilled today, then how come nothing's changed, really? How come nothing happened? How come Jesus didn't perform those mighty deeds we've been hearing about in Capernaum and other far-flung places? How come he didn't do some of that stuff here in his hometown? Today, this scripture has been fulfilled. What exactly is he saying? He's the one? It was then that Jesus threw the Bible out the window. They thought that Isaiah's words were only for them, for Israel, for, for Nazareth, for the, for the locals. Also, all this talk of leveling the playing field, of prison reform, social justice, release to the captives and freedom for the oppressed, the way Jesus put it up, all that stuff was fine as long as we kept it in the great by and by, you know, out there in the hoped for future one day. Jesus proceeded to throw that interpretation of these beloved scriptures out the window by saying that God's care for the poor and the oppressed has always been as much for the outsider as it is for the insiders. Back to that little Canadian college. What happened after the speaker threw the Bible out the window the story goes that the mostly student congregation that night was offended and outraged, and they left muttering blasphemy and, and saying that most of them weren't coming back to the event the next night. But word spread around campus about what had happened, as you can imagine it would. And the next night, a lot of the religious regulars did stay away, but the, uh, you know, the tax collectors and sinners drew near. Uh, the place was packed with fraternity types who never really thought of themselves as religious. 
And that night, the same preacher spoke about God's radical grace and forgiveness and inclusion. And that night, some lives were changed. What if we lived like we believed that Jesus has, in fact, fulfilled the ancient promise, release to the captives, freedom and good news to the poor? Jesus reminds the congregation of two stories from their holy scriptures. The first is the story of the widow of Zarephath, and the second is the story of that Syrian army general with leprosy called Naaman. And everybody at worship that day in the synagogue in Nazareth knew these stories. They'd been hearing them their whole lives. And they, they all knew that the widow of Zarephath and Naaman were both, well, foreigners, but their interpretation over the generations didn't focus on that. It focused on the miraculous power of God in these stories. God did miracles in these stories. He healed Naaman. He fed the widow and her son. That was the interpretation until Jesus got a hold of it. We have plenty of our own widows and lepers in Israel, Jesus pointed out. But God chose outsiders, foreigners, fraternity types. God chose them because that's what God does. And the historic, classic, traditional interpretation of this scripture came toppling down like a pile of stone. And the angry congregation decided the preacher must go. Later in Jesus' ministry, this is the beginning, near the end, he will say about the great temple complex, not one stone will be left upon another. A group of us are preparing to visit our partners in ministry in Tanzania in June. One of the cool things about worship in Tanzania Lutheran churches is that the service does not conclude inside the church building. It spills outside while the congregation is singing a hymn and gathers in a large circle before the final benediction happens outside of the church. Well, the same thing happened that day in Nazareth after Jesus finished preaching. The service continued outside, all right. This is how Luke puts it. They got up drove Jesus out of the town and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they might hurl him off a cliff. That is a thing that happened. That is an actual Bible verse. It's Luke 4.29 if you want to memorize it. A group of worshipers with a religious nationalist bent decided to take things into their own hands one day and throw Jesus off a cliff. Teach him a little something about Israeli exceptionalism they were going to do. Jesus didn't run. He didn't fight back. He actually allowed them to bring him all the way up into the hills on the edge of town where they could all look back down and see 
their beautiful place of worship, sitting down there in the midst of their town with all its history and tradition. But they could also see from that high place out, out to the, the borders, they could look out towards Zarephath where the widow and her son were fed and sustained, and they could look out toward the Syrian border from where the foreign general came and was healed. And way out across the time and the distance, they could look out to Tanzania and Chester Springs and Brooklyn Park. That's where Luke tells us Jesus concluded the service and left that angry congregation outside. In fact, Luke puts it this way, Jesus passed through the midst of them and went on his way like a gunslinger in an old western is the way I see it. Looking at them while they all look down like a gunslinger in an old western with nothing but good news on his hip. He went on his way. Uh, Yes, beautiful St. Matthew's Lutheran still sits high on the hill in Chester Springs, Pennsylvania. I know a couple of you have been able to visit there even. It did not collapse, uh, thank goodness and thank God, during the construction. And the new spaces helped get this same good news out to untold thousands of people over the years. So many teams have gone out from that place to serve and be a blessing in Africa and the Gulf Coast to help strangers recover from hurricanes and locally through home repair ministries and so much more. And of course, the same is true here at Prince of Peace, serving locally and globally, giving, feeding, quilting, praying, protesting, and advocating out on the streets. The ground around these churches has shifted again, to be sure. Things have changed and are changing, and that is always more than a little bit nerve-wracking. But Jesus came to proclaim release to the captives and, and sight for those who can't see and to bring good news to the poor, and he said, this good news has arrived. It's at hand. It's here now. And it's for everyone. It's for you. Jesus wants you to know that you are beloved. You are a chosen, forgiven child of God. There have always been forces working against this good news reaching you again this morning. From tyrant kings trying to kill it in the crib to angry congregations trying to throw it from a cliff. But the Logos, the Word of God made flesh, walked through the midst of them. He went on his way.
So after two weeks in this uh, great gospel encounter between Jesus and uh, folks in his own hometown, uh, we, we, we leave with the same question. What if we lived as though we believed it? Uh, sight for those who cannot see. Release to the captives. Good news to the poor. What if we believed that Jesus proclaimed the year of the Lord? What if we believed he were the one? How would it impact the way we live? How would it impact the way we give? How would it impact the way we serve? How would it impact what we see when we look in the mirror? Go, my children, forgiven, chosen, and beloved, we sang together. And so do we go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.